Hi everybody, I'm Harry Santa Olaya, and my definition of relentless is getting back up no matter how many times you get knocked down. Hello everybody and welcome to the Relentless Podcast. I am your host Kyle Dubay and today we have a guest with us coming in from New York with a very, very cool story. Uh, we're going to talk about fundraising and we are going to talk about his personal journey as well, which is very compelling. And uh, I'm very excited to have Harry Santa Ol- oh, yeah, gonna I did, oh, I'm going to butcher it. Santa Olila. Olaya. Santa Olaya. Santa This is terrible, Harry. We just went over it four times and I, I couldn't do it. No, that's all right. And that's you okay. are the CEO of HSO Productions, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. And I'm just so glad that you're here. Thanks for joining us from New York today. Yeah, of course. I'm thrilled to be here. And uh, welcome to uh, welcome to, to Brooklyn, New York. I, I live in a little neighborhood called Dumbo in Brooklyn, right by uh, the Brooklyn Bridge there. Which is so cool. This is definitely the coolest background of anyone we've had zoom in. Uh, <laughs> if you are watching this on YouTube, right behind Harry in his uh, in his flat or his apartment or condo, whatever you want to call it, is the Brooklyn Bridge. We can literally see cars driving over the Brooklyn Bridge. That's very cool. Yeah, you've got if you if you manage to move the camera around, you got every inch of this bridge, and it's a spectacular one, an iconic one, and. Um, one that I'm, I'm very blessed, blessed to be sort of able to to see every morning when I get up, and and uh, to be honest, it's 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 nicer at night with all the lights. But um, anyway, it's, uh, I'm really thrilled to be here, and welcome uh, to Brooklyn. Well, thank you so much. We're glad you're here. Now, Harry, listen, I I heard of you because I listened to a podcast um, through Givergy, and yeah. for those that don't know what Givergy is. You're going to probably be able to explain it better, but for us as an organization, you can use services. Uh, most people listening, although a lot of people that are going to listen because of you, maybe don't know who we are. We're in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We work with vulnerable young people, at-risk youth, and our mission is to move young people out of harm's way and onto a path of economic independence. What does that mean? That means we're working with primarily 15 to 25-year-olds. Our wheelhouse is at 18 to to 25 year olds and we're helping get them jobs we're helping get back into school and we're, we're getting them hopefully out of a, a risky life uh and onto a path of economic independence and we use givergy which is an online platform to help us do fundraising at our major fundraising event that we do every year called the you can use services comedy nights there i'm giving some plugs out um and so they've got a little uh, podcast, and, and I've listened to a couple of them. And you were on here, I don't know, maybe it was a month ago, a month and a half ago. And I was really intrigued by, by this little half-hour conversation you had because of the passion that you have for fundraising and because of some of the things that you said on the, that podcast really resonated with me, and I enjoyed it. So I reached out to you. You very graciously and quickly said, yeah, I'd love to come on your podcast. So here we are. We are together, Edmonton to New York. It's uh, it's it's going to be a great conversation. So, let's get this started. HSO Productions. What do you do, Harry? Yeah, so I'm a fundraising consultant primarily, which is kind of a uh, a culmination of ten years of experience in the fundraising in- industry, starting off back home in London, where I I 
began my career in the fundraising industry and was actually part of the reason why I know the GiveG team so well and the platform inside out is because I was part of that team at the very beginning, sort of growing the company. And I moved here to the US, uh, to New York to, to help grow that platform. And very quickly, it became clear to me, as you know, Kyle, the system is phenomenal when it's doing its job properly. It's very interactive, super engaging. Audiences get very sort of fired up with the technology uh, when it's utilized correctly. And just very quickly, it became clear to me that I could help clients out a lot if I got on stage and really help sort of conduct the appeals, the utilize the platform. And that sort of snowballed and escalated into a career on stage, which is how I basically started HSO Productions, which is a, a lot of consultative work with clients, helping them build out campaigns, you know, everything from online campaigns to the big sort of UNICEF USA galas here in, in New York uh, and everything in between. You know, I, I really do help consult on how, how best to utilize technology, how best to build out runs of shows, how best to market their campaign and Basically, uh, most of the time, it culminates with me on stage helping audiences indulge, really, in the process of giving back. And that's genuinely how I feel it should be. It should be an indulgence. People get to enjoy the process of, of giving back and, and donating to organizations. It's not an ask or a beg. It's an opportunity. And we know that because the data is very clear on that. And I think that's also an area that I'd probably help bring a different perspective for, for a lot of clients who've primarily been focused on, you know, how do we ask for money? It's like, no, 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 you got to turn that around. This is an opportunity for your guests to indulge in, in uh, philanthropy. And it's a great thing. And I'll tell you, I think that that's what attracted me to wanting to have a conversation with you. And like I said, the first bit of this conversation is going to be about fundraising and, and I'm going to pick your brain a little bit. Uh, the, so many of the things that you said on this podcast I listened to, like I said, resonated with me. And one of the things, this is what I'll say about Givergy, great system, but we underutilize this system terribly, terribly underutilize it. And um, I know that that because of uh, listening to you and being inspired about that, we're going to try to use it better. And Givergy has great support. They have great people that are going to teach us how to do that. Right now, we essentially use it for our online auction. And I do believe that we can be using it for what I have for 13 years, because we've been doing this huge event for 13 years, been calling the ask. And you mm -hmm. have totally made me rethink this, where I want to change my language and, and my approach and the way that I look at it, because you're 100% right. Um, I've always taken a lot of pride in not begging people for money. Um, mm -hmm. That being said, some people might think I beg them for money. And I don't want to beg people for money. I want this to be an opportunity for them to be part of something very special. And yeah. that, to me, is the organization that I work for. And the work that we do with these very vulnerable young people in our community. And one of the things that you talk about, which I think is, is really cool is that this is a, it's, it's about collaboration and it's about people that are at these events. Um, and I'll explain my event to you in, in a minute um, because it's not just a one night event. Um, but whenever I go up and I ask people for money, um, 
I think that I've done a pretty good job of it. We raised some good cash, all that type of stuff. But I like how, you know, you've used the word appeal and the word uh, opportunity. Explain, explain to our listeners and, and, and to me what the difference is. Well, and ask, um, like we, we've all been in that audience, right? We've, we've had those roll your eyes moments where someone gets up on stage and, um, you know, usually it's a charismatic board member or something. You know, it's like someone who's had experience with public speaking. It's just not the same thing as having a professional fundraiser on stage that knows exactly what it is. And the reality is, is if it feels like an ask or, or a beg at, at worst, then it means the fundraising narrative, the setup of why are people giving hasn't quite been executed, right? Because by the time we get on stage, really the audience should be really looking forward to supporting it, right? So, you, I mean, what better way to spend your money than in supporting vulnerable youth get back on track? Like, is there a better way to spend your money? No. like Great way. Sure. We waste a huge amount on materialistic stuff or Amazon or trips. Forget it. The reality is, as human beings, we know absolutely concrete, proven, time and time again, measurably proven, that we're at our best. We feel at our best when we're doing something good for other people. That's why when you're a kid, I don't know if you celebrate Christmas, but when you're a kid, you're five or six years old, and you tear into presents, and you get that endorphin hit of, you know, ripping open a present, and you feel good. That feels quite good, and it's fleeting. You know what really lasts? We learn from a really young age that we love giving gifts and watching our parents open it and seeing how it how it affects them. And that gives you a – like you almost get to a stage where you prefer giving gifts, right? Like that, that right. we can relate to that. And that's exactly the same concept. So all you're doing is tapping into that basic human instinct, which is to want to do something positive. So that's why it's an opportunity – because the irony is if people leave these events having indulged in the food and the wine and learn about these amazing things that, 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 that you're doing with the revenue and, and, and the lives it impacts, if they leave that event having spent less than they would at McDonald's, they are actually going to have a worse time. They will have a better time and feel more connected and, and, and feel far more empowered and part of something, a collaborative team effort, if they leave having spent something. And that varies from 20 bucks from the intern at the very back of the room, right up to the board members on the front table uh, who are giving thousands and thousands. You know, our job on stage is to first tell the fundraising narrative, get them ready to go, and then to execute on stage. It doesn't need to be lengthy, but it needs to be dynamic. It needs to be inclusive. And it needs to be a team effort. And people really need to feel like that swept up in a moment of altruism. And that's awesome. That's where you want to be. And the bottom line is if, if you're utilizing Givergy for just a silent auction, it's like it's like having a Ferrari and keeping it in second gear. Yeah. You're completely underutilizing it. So offline to this, because I don't want to bore bore your listeners too much on the ins and outs of mechanics of tech and all the rest. Let's have a chat offline and talk about how we can bring that to life more. No, and I, and I agree with you. And, and you're, the, when I heard you, it really brought that to light for me, which I'm so thankful that it has. Let me tell you the recipe of what we do, because I think it's a recipe for a lot of fundraisers. Uh, now, I'm actually going to tell you a little bit about ours. 
this was a one night event. COVID hit. Uh, we we shifted where we went from having a big event to uh, you know we'd have about six hundred people in the room. The last time we did it was in twenty twenty. Raised about a quarter million dollars, and that's through uh, sponsorship, ticket sales, all the normal things at at these events. Uh, donations, auctions, live auctions, all that type of stuff, raffles. Then we shifted to doing uh, a smaller venue and doing three nights, and which made it a little bit tricky. But it because it's a comedy night, we actually moved it to a comedy uh, club, which actually made it easier because a comedy club knows exactly what they're doing, and we just have to walk in. They do what they do, we do what we do, and it's great. Then this thing grew, and we do we did six nights. So now we're doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It grew, it grew, it grew. And last year we raised over $400,000. This year we're looking at doing nine nights because it's just becoming more popular now. So here's, here's the, the, the recipe that we have. People show up, um, we, we entertain them a little bit. They get their drinks and their food. This, we, it's not supper. It's, it's appetizers. And we try to keep it pretty tight. We used to go really long on the one night, but now we try to keep it pretty tight. Um, we do the propaganda. I call it the propaganda where, where I go up, I, I do a little, we, we, we have our, our host MC who comes out, gets everybody revved up for being there. I come out, do a little bit of chatting about the organization. We then bring a young person up, uh, to tell their their story, they're they're always very inspirational. Most people that show up think that that's the best part of the night, listening to this testimonial, and then I go back up and I'm pretty good at, at asking people for money, um, and I'm v- very honest about it. I tell them, listen, we're bringing a young person up. Uh, we're going to exploit their story is essentially what we're doing, and they all kind of laugh and then they go, oh, he's telling the truth. You know, we, we ask them for some money and then uh, we bring out comedians and, and actually, no, then we auction off a live painting and then we bring out comedians and, and it's a great experience because every, the comedy is a great part of it, right? Yeah. Everybody leaves feeling good. I think that's a pretty normal recipe. How, how do we change that up? So like you said, it's a little bit more dynamic. How do organizations out there make that opportunity because I'm going to start using that word now, uh, more dynamic. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of the campaign, but based on what you've said, I would probably gamify it a little bit, challenge the audience. You've got nine nights, right? Why didn't you bring to life the actual appeal moments and actually broadcast on big screens around the room how much has been raised that night compared to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, previously in that week? Set goals for for the... for the night that's coming the following night and so on, you know? Right, I like that. I don't know. Or even a dollar for dollar. Like, you know, if you manage to hit $100,000 tonight, we're going to get another 10 minutes of, of comedic relief. Like, I don't know. Challenge the audience. I personally just love the idea of kind of bringing fundraising to life, making it more dynamic and engaging. And But Givergy is great with that. There's a whole bunch of – you can have a percentage of audience participation, number of guests that have donated. Like, all of that is – at your fingertips if you want to utilize it um and with this type of event you don't you i never believe you should be holding an audience captive like Mm. a lot of them are there for the comedy manage their expectations explain to them how important it is that we get the next 10 15 minutes right tell the story stick the landing on with the comedy but keep the donations on a big screen and 
gamify it. it set them a, a goal for the following night and 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 tell them how you know how best to maximize it. you can also it doesn't have to just be the people in the room as well by the way you can I, be sharing these links all over the place and people can be donating and it flashing up live on these screens and so on so look the, the every campaign is different but every campaign is also the same and that the goal is maximum audience participation and to ensure that people leave having enjoyed that process um and so that's the first thing I do is I take a step back with every client and sort of look at all the numbers and the different formats that have operated. And then I work with you to make sure that we're really keeping a tight run of show that is going to best execute the fundraising narrative. And then I got to stick the landing on stage, which I love to do. I and and. Truthfully, I do a lot of comedy events. I do a lot of events where you're up against like the best comedians out there. I love that. Like I genuinely love that because you 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 know it's the you cannot help but feel like the audience is going to compare you. You can't help. It, oh, absolutely. You know? And so. Um, I love that. Bring it on. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. Like, I'm a bit of a donkey on stage. I like to have fun, make people laugh. Um, I'm no comedian. I'm no stand-up comedian, but I have a good time with it. And again, I think comedy is such a great way to do fundraising. I really do. Um, oh, 100%. Just to touch on that, look, I, I, all, I, I do fundraise for a lot of very sensitive or even dark sort of organizations that have a... a you know, human trafficking, you know, sure. I do a lot of the massive St. Jude events in the U.S. Those are, you know, this is hospitals for the terminally ill children. Yeah. It doesn't get harder than that. But I can guarantee you the reason why we get such amazing results is because people are giving with a smile on their face. Yeah. It's not because they're all crying in the audience and you're leading into that. Like we know it's that, but they are going to spend more money if they're enjoying it, no matter how dark the subject is that you're raising for. And it it doesn't have to feel like that. You know, the appeal moments can often be incredibly moving, for sure. Live auctions should be dynamic and engaging and fun no matter what. And by the end, by the tail end of the appeal, when you've gone down those big, big numbers and you're now lower, 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 by the tail end, you're looking for mass participation. You're looking for people to be like all smiles and indulging in that 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 moment of altruism. It's awesome. It's such a cool feeling. Do you think Best that? In the world. And, and sorry, but I'm I'm you know picking your brain. You're gonna have to send me an invoice at the end of this. <laughs> do you <laughs> do you do you think that us ask, uh, doing the appeal in the middle of the show? is more effective than doing it at the end of the show whenever everyone's gone through all the comedy and because i look yeah, at it like 100 percent. so it's better to do it in the middle or at the end 100 percent in the middle without without question it'd be the first thing i'd do if i were to look at your run of show even earlier on look there is never a time too too late too early in a run of show sorry to 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 go for the ask yeah and i mean that and yeah. i've proven that because i've actually had to um i once had a client that that booked an event date they had to move the date i was already booked on that date and they were like look we're just going to start earlier to ensure that you can do that and then go to the next event and i was a bit anxious about it because it was like i'm on stage by 6 30. that's early even for new york who want to get in and out 
um, and we crushed. Um, felt amazing. But it proved to me you can never, ever fundraise too early. You can only fundraise too late. And you know when you're fundraising too late, you're looking at an audience that's not engaged. They're not, they're tired, especially with comedy. You've had a lot of people up and down, up and down, up and down on the stage. That creates fatigue in the audience. Disaster. Okay, good. Get going good. Early, earlier than you think. I, I'm glad that you've affirmed that for me because there are some people in my life that are like, maybe you should ask at the end. And I said, at the end, Everybody just wants to go home. They're, they're, uh, they couldn't be more wrong. Right. Yeah, yeah. They're feeling good. They've been laughing. They're tired. They've already had their drinks. They've already, they just want to get out of there. It's, 10, yeah. it's, it's 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. They want to get home. All right. Spot this on. is good stuff. You are a very passionate guy about what you do. And I think um, I love talking to folks like you because, because even though I, I definitely am involved in, in a lot of the operations of my organization, a huge part of my job is raising. I chase money for a living. That's what I do. Um, I take a lot of pride in it, and I know that you take a lot of pride in it too. Some of the events that you're involved with um, are huge. I was talking to my fund development director, and he goes, well, how do you think we can uh, – he listened to the podcast too. He goes, well, do you think – like, what would it cost to get here? I said, I don't think Harry's coming out for six nights, man, like for nine nights. Like I said, you know, week after week after week. It would just be too much. It would be too expensive. It would be all those things. But – I've really decided um, that I, that I want to maybe get somebody else. I don't know. We're gonna. You and I can even talk offline. I'm thinking of maybe getting somebody else to go up and do the appeal. All yeah. that being said, you are a passionate guy. Why? Why do you love this so much? Why do you care about this so much? And maybe tell a couple stories of, if you don't mind, because I actually think people love to hear this stuff. I know I do. Yeah. You do massive events, Harry, with like big celebrities and big names. Maybe, you know, tell us a couple of war stories, tell some fun stuff. And, and why do you love doing this so much? Um, I love doing it for a whole, I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons why I love to do it. Primarily, it feels awesome. It is food for the soul. I really mean that. When I, every night that I'm on stage, I can measurably you know, I can actually very clearly see the impact I'm having on an organization. And, and often that will actually mean a dollar for dollar. You know, I know that $20,000 is another bed in a children's ward sure. or $50,000 covers a van that can, that can transport 14,000 meals across New York City for God's love we deliver. Um, or, I mean, you name it. I know all the stats off the top of my head for each campaign. So like, it, it's food for the soul to know that you're having a measurable impact on them raising more money. So number one, it feels good. Number two, I love performing. Like I just do. I love being on stage. I love having an audience. I used to do a lot of theater. I used to do a lot of performance. It's not a coincidence. I went into technology and ended up on stage, right? Like I, all roads eventually led to me being on stage. So I enjoy the performance side of it. That is without question. Um, I love the spontaneity of what I do. I never have any scripting. I'm up there. I've usually got sort of a, a number on the corner of my, my sheet telling me how long I've got on stage, what the goal is to raise, and um, the rest is ad lib. And some people find that terrifying. I've got a couple of friends who are actors and um, a couple of really quite famous actors who have come to events with me as like my guest. And they're like, Harry, I could, you know, it's like my worst fear. 
is being up in front of a thousand people not knowing what the next line is. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. Like, I love it. It's yeah. such a fun, exciting, but I've done it so many times. The rush, isn't it? I almost like the challenge of not knowing what's coming or if things that, you know, and also the big, you mentioned some of the bigger events there, like, it's wild. Like, how often are you on stage in front of Beyonce? Or, you know, I do Rihanna's event sometimes. And, wow. you know, I, I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to do the God's Love We Deliver event. Um, Amphars, UNICEF, I've worked with some of those massive events. You're looking out at the audience like, this is the Oscars. Yeah. Like, this is what, what on earth is going on here? In what world does it make sense that these people are watching me on stage? Like, it does. I've been watching them on TV my whole life. Like, it doesn't really make any sense. And then the reality is, if you're confident in what you do, they lean into it. They, they, they gravitate towards people who have that energy that, that comes with being confident that you know you're going to get it right, right? Like that, no matter how things are going on stage, as in people bidding, because I, I can't control whether or not someone's going to spend 500 grand on an item or 100 grand or, or someone's going to put their paddle up for 50. I can't really force them to give, but you're at your best if you're experienced and you're allowing yourself to sort of allow the audience not to worry too much about it like this. This guy's got it under control and, and we're in safe hands. And actually that is sometimes when you're at your best, if you've got a bit of experience of like not getting that dry throat and choking up if people aren't, if bids aren't moving and so on. So I love the spontaneity of not knowing and the thrill of being sort of a little bit sort of Whose line is it anyway type thing? You know, it's uh, a lot of ad-libbing, a lot of crowd work. Yeah, you can play off the crowd. You can play off what's happened right. earlier in the evening or the day. Like, there's a lot of those things you can do, which is so fun. There's a lot of comedic relief in there as well. I love to lean into the comedy of it. Like, And, um, and in order to keep things fresh for my audiences, I build characters in the audience. Yeah. Yeah. So I do that because my intention is to make it fresh every night. And by doing that, I'm relying on my own sort of skills to, to generate some some interesting new sort of storylines and plots between the bidders and and the donations and so on. Um, so it, it's food for the soul to be raising the money. It's an absolute thrill to be on stage and and to, not every night, but the vast majority of the time, I'm I'm, I'm just so thrilled to be up there, and I love having audiences. Um, and and the bottom line is. You know, the, the the reason why I love it is I've found a thing that I'm good at. And I think that's important in life. Like I'm 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 meant to be up there. I'm 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 good at my job. And I'm okay. I'm happy to say that. You know, I don't mean that to sound arrogant. I mean it because like over years I've worked really hard at this. I really take my job seriously. I know that for many of these organizations, this 40 minutes to an hour is the most important hour of their whole financial year. Yeah. So I better get it right. You know, like I better stick the landing on stage. I've got to take that job seriously. And I really do. So it's something that I'm I'm very proud to be, uh, you know, in this industry. Um, and, um, you know, yes, I do a lot of those big galas. And if you were to sort of, you know, Google my name or whatever, then those are the ones that come up. But the reality is that's kind of misleading. Those aren't, you know, the bulk of the time I'm doing smaller events where I can have a bigger impact, if I'm honest, you know, as a percentage. Sure. And that is where I, you know, 
taking an organization from raising 100 grand to 200 grand, a 100% increase in revenue is amazing. And yet the next night I could be on stage raising millions for an organization that's just used to raising millions. Sure. Do you see what I mean? Like there's a, yeah, it's kind of uh, horses for courses. It's all relative is what I'm saying. And actually, funnily enough, I don't necessarily just love the big occasions, the massive events. Those aren't, I've done enough of them and I enjoy them. I really, I, 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 I am very proud to be part of those campaigns, but you get that warm glow, that feeling, just feeling, just it's such a good feeling when you know you're, you're making a positive difference. And, and I know how you feel. I do. And because with, with my organization, you know, I love my job as well. And it's, it's one of these things where there's sometimes I look around and I go, I can't believe I'm getting paid for this. You know, <laughs> like it, it, which is a great feeling. And I think that that's something that is very special to be able to say. You've got that. Yeah, I've got that. Uh, I know. Let's not get that out there too, too far and wide. Otherwise, my clients will be coming back to me saying, it looks like you'll do this for free next yeah, year. Yeah, they want to do it. No, but that, but that's, you know, at the end of the day, the, we we should get paid for what we do, and and I'm okay with that. And um, no, I, I I hear the passion in your voice now. Sorry to interrupt the relentless podcast, everybody. Although this is a very good message, we want you to go and check out our relentless merchandise store. That's right, we have launched a merchandise store for all of our relentless garb. We've got T-shirts. We've got hoodies, we've got crew necks, we've got hats, we've got toques, and we're going to be coming out with some more merchandise in the very near future. So please, www.ucan.ca, that's Y-O-U-C-A-N.ca. When you get to the website, you look up to the top right corner, I think it says buy our merch, hit that button, boom, it'll take you there. We really want you to wear our stuff. One, because every dollar raised goes directly into our programming for the young people we work with. And two, because it's a conversation starter for you. When you wear it, people are going to go, what's relentless? You can then brag about how you support an incredibly good organization helping young people. And then you can talk about how you are relentless in your life. That's what we want. We don't want us to just be relentless. We want you to be relentless too. Thanks for your support, and we appreciate you helping us out. Now, back to the show. You are obviously relentless at your job, and this is the Relentless Podcast. And um, I know you have limited time, and I think that you and I could talk for hours and hours about different things in regards to fundraising and some of the things that you've done. I've appreciated even just a couple of the things that you've said to me, especially the, the, the term gamify it uh with with what we're going to do with our event um and we can do a little bit of talking offline you and i when we did our 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 pre-pod interview i like to call it um we we got into another topic which you um are very willing to talk to me about which i i think is is very generous of you um a lot of people look at and i'm going to call you uh somebody uh, a stage presence somebody who's up there uh leaning into celebrities or normal folks trying to help them help others um and truthfully when people see somebody like you on stage they're going look at this guy the confidence the swagger the comedy the ability to to bring people together to collaborate to help others through this cause they're looking at all these things 
And honestly, you could be put on a pedestal at times because this is a very normal thing that I think our culture does here in, in, in our Western civilization. But you went through a time in your life where you didn't have it all together and you had some struggles uh, with addiction. And I, I would love it if you're willing to tell your story. Yeah, I, um, it's funny because I've never really spoken sort of publicly about this type of thing. I've uh, been on m many podcasts and things over the years, but it's never really come up because it's never felt that appropriate, I guess, for it to come up. And I think um, when you and I had a chat before we had the podcast, you know, date set, it, it became clear to me that being relentless about sobriety is a huge part of my life and a reason um, that I'm fortunate enough to be probably moving in the right direction, I'd say, um, because you asked the very simple question, you know, what does relentless mean to you? And you know, are there examples of it in your life? And I can honestly say that, you know, May 15th, 2015, uh, which was the day that I decided that I really had had enough of trying to manage um, manage drink, you know, manage my drinking or, or uh, you know, substance abuse, I, which wasn't a huge part of my story, if I'm completely honest. It wasn't drugs. It was just, I was just, I'm one of those drinkers that isn't good at drinking. That's the best way to describe it. Pure and simple. I try not to let young people, especially that I spend time with, um, you know, on this subject, I try not to labor things like addiction or, or the terms like alcoholism okay. or, um, you know, I just keep it nice and simple. You know, like I was never very good at French at school. And so over the years, it became very clear to me I shouldn't be a French teacher. Right. Um, and, you know, ballet, probably the same. There are things I'm good at. There are things I'm not very good at. It turns out. Well, for whatever reason, however you want to label it, drinking's in the bucket of I'm not very good at it. Sometimes it went great. Sometimes it was a disaster. More often than not, it became something I wasn't enjoying. I was waking up feeling you know, restless, anxious, hungover, unproductive. And um, I needed to start. It was creating a huge amount of pain in my life because I was internalizing it a lot. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily let my friends and family in on the secret that I had moved to America and was really struggling. Um, and about seven months into my American experiment, as it were, when I moved over, it became pretty crippling. It became to the point where I just, I didn't, I, I couldn't really see a direction out of this, this sort of, pain of um repetition and and solitude and it was it was pretty horrible it was horrible it was absolutely miserable harry, um, harry were you struggling uh how about this were you not a good drinker before you got to america was this a struggle in your life? i've yeah. never been a good drinker i've just always tried to manage it I've, i did i did the same as every other person who's tried to stop drinking you know and uh, I recognized from a very young age, uh, very, very young age that, you know, I just had a different relationship with it from other people. I, I just, I, I would have one and I just didn't know where that led to. I, I couldn't, there are friends and family I watch drink who 
they can seemingly nurse a glass of wine for hours on end. And that, to me, it just didn't make sense. I just couldn't get my head around it. So from a very young age, I reckon, you know, I wouldn't say, oh, I'm an alcoholic. You know, from a young age, I wasn't sort of like, I'm an alcoholic. This is going to be a disaster. I just, I just very early on recognized that some of my friends and family had the ability to stop when they wanted to. And I didn't seem to have that button. I just kind of kept on going. And like I said, sometimes it, it was great. A lot of, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of time with friends uh, on nights out, a lot of great times, some bad nights, some bad consequences. Yeah. Um, over time, as with most people you know, who seem to have a, a similar relationship to alcohol as me, over time, the consequences started to get more and more frequent and more and more painful. Right. And then I became one of those um, drinkers, which is almost everyone by the end, um, that kind of hid away from it, you know, hid away from other people and just isolated myself and just it's safer that way. Um, and it, uh, <clears throat> and I tried it all, you know, tried counting drinks, tried writing it, tried, you know, only beer, Beer and no spirits, spirits only, you know, no port, like, you name it, I did it all. Sure. How I got there is kind of irrelevant. All I knew is that from a young age and throughout my young, you know, up, up until 27, you know, I had varying degrees of success drinking, but it was never consistent. And more importantly, Carl, I think the reason why I'm very fortunate is because my bottom, as we call it, my, my lowest point, you know, there were a lot of, you know, horrible low points, but on May 15th, you know, 2015, in theory, on paper, I seemingly had my life together, you know, from the outside looking in. Right. Still had a job. Somehow I still had a family that loved me. Somehow I still had friends that wanted to hang out with me. Right. You know, I was still physically looking fine. Like I wasn't, you know, was like functioning. Really, functioning. I was a functioning person that seemed on the outside. To, but I genuinely was completely and utterly broken inside. I was at, I did not, you know, I wouldn't describe it as like suicide. I just didn't care. I, I was done. I didn't want to be. Um, and it was a very painful process to go through because I had really managed to isolate myself. Um, away from the people who would definitely be able to help me, I just didn't think it made sense to burden them with with that. So, um, so what changed up... then on May fifteenth, twenty fifteen? What changed for you, Harry? Well, um, I I, I uh, ended up meeting a um, a group of people who who share the same thing. I'm, I'm not going to label. It. I'm sure people can probably work it out, but um, it's it's not for it's. You know, it's a, a group of people that, you know, you know, you Google, how do I stop drinking? It's like one of the first things that comes up. Right. I went to a meeting. I met a bunch of people that seemingly um, had an answer or a way to um, a way to sort of get on top of this thing, this disease or, or, or what have you. And um, someone actually gave me a hug and just said, look, you're going to have bad days ahead of you. But the best part is your worst day is behind you mm. because you don't need to drink or take drugs again like you know and that for some reason just like a massive sack of bricks just fell off my back and then um 
I was pretty committed, you know, from 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 that day forward. I'd actually been tried in and out for a, you know a few months before that, but that was that was my sobriety date. And um, eight or so years later, I'm I'm still doing it. And the reason why relentless came to mind, and the reason why this came up really is because with sobriety, you don't have like eight years of sobriety. You, you kind of have the day that you have, that you wake up on. That's what you've got, 24 hours, right? And it, you've got to relentlessly want to be sober because it just, every single day, it's a daily reprieve. And through the power of, you know, being part of a community of people that want the same thing, which is all we want is to basically be the best versions we can be of ourselves. Right. We just want to be the best version we can be of ourselves. And for me, some people can brush off hangovers or bad behavior or wake up with that little bit of anxiety about what happened the night before and just brush it off. Not a problem. And I've seen that time and time again. That cripples me. I, and I hate the idea of not being close to operating at my best. Right. And I knew that this would just go on and on. And so... You don't have to be someone waking up on a park bench on a Tuesday morning, having written off the last 48 hours to know that you don't have a healthy relationship with alcohol and want to do something about it. But you've got to be absolutely relentless in that pursuit. It has to be every day, every single day. You've got to want to continue to be committed to being sober and, and a huge part of that and the biggest joy of it is over time you get to a place where you're less focused on you stopping drinking. That that was years ago. I I, I don't drink anymore because of all the benefits that come with it. You know, it, I, I'm not worried about. You know, I'm surrounded by booze every night that I'm on stage, and and what I call sexy booze. This is like top gala events. It's all free yeah. cup. It's yeah. Belvedere vodka. It's Verve Clicquot champagne. Off shelf. Yeah, it's the type. You know, and it's all free. That's not, I don't have a compulsion to drink anymore. I, what I want is to make sure that I can continue to improve in the other areas that, that are absolutely without question the other areas of my life that are improved purely because of that decision. And you can draw a line literally in every aspect of my life from that day in every area. You have ebbs and flows. It goes up and down. But the overall trend is up and to the right and that is you know friendships that is being the best possible son brother uncle you name it so relationships with friends with family so much better so much more dependable someone that people can rely on my business without question exponentially it's just so much better yeah. uh, my physical health my mental health you name it. there's just from that day every single aspect of my life so why would I ever want to even consider throwing that away? And, and the answer is I don't. But if I'm not relentless with pursuing sobriety and staying on top of it and helping others to do the same, you lose it all. And, and that's, that's it. It's interesting because essentially there comes a point in sobriety where you do relentlessly focus on the, the things that sobriety brings you instead of the things that if you are not sober, it brings you. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what you're talking about. And at the end of the day, and I know that you're, you're not a fan of the, 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 the label words, but addiction is relentless. It is. And it's a relentless pressure 
that people have on them. So, you know, it's, it's, thank you so much for sharing that, Harry. Like, I really appreciate that because for some reason you chose us to talk to about that. And, and I'm really thankful yeah. for that. I really am. And sincerely, genuinely, um, I'm thankful that you're, that you're sober and I'm thankful yeah. that, um, that you work hard at it and that you are relentless with it because I actually believe that everything you just talked about with everything up and to the right in your life, it has also helped thousands and thousands of other people. We can talk about the people that you've helped through sobriety, but there's this whole other group of people because of your work that um, really because of your sobriety, because you wouldn't be able to do what you're doing if you weren't. Oh, <laughs> I sometimes joke about that. Like if I was still drinking and partying and doing the things I used to do, I'd survive maybe a, a couple of events. You know, I'd get through a couple of events before making a huge, Ash of it, and yeah, without question, there's no way I could do my job um, and still be uh, drinking and pursuing um, that line. And and by the way, I'm not one of those guys. It's like, oh, no one should. I love being around people having fun and yeah. partying. And like, I'm not someone to say, oh, everyone should. You've got to do what's right for you. The reason why I veer away from labels like addiction, yeah. They, they exist for a reason. And whether I'm an alcoholic, an addict, a, you know, a person that doesn't drink well, I don't really care what my label is specifically. Um, I know I'm better off without it. That's all I need to know. And the only reason why the label sometimes I veer away from is because I just don't want any hint of a reason for young people not to want to give it a go. Because it sounds like it's a dirty word, addiction. Because yeah, well, it does sound like, like a dirty word, right? Yeah, there's well, there's, there's so much negativity. The there's yeah. so much negativity to those words. And I actually really appreciate you helping me with my literacy around that. As a person who works with many young people who deal with substance abuse, alcoholism, addiction, all those right. things, I actually like the, the, the way that you're doing it. I like the way that you're, you're wording yeah, it. Yeah, it's sometimes just... I'm only talking from personal experiences that for me personally, I almost thought that I'd failed or like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm an, you know, it's like when I first admitted I'm an alcoholic, like it was almost like it was a, and actually the reality is down the line now with a, just a bit of time behind me of not, you know, drinking and, 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 and sort of indulging all that stuff. I've realized I'm like the most grateful alcoholic out there. Thank God I am because it allowed, you know, I would, I would hate nothing more than to just about be able to get through life whilst drinking, but keep it on track and not quite be bad. You know, I'd rather be all in terrible at drinking and know I'm not good at it and have to do something about it than to sort of drift through life kind of, you know, barely functioning. Hard barely functioning but getting away with it you know spinning a web of like physically and mentally not quite you know sort of functional alcoholic exhaust and i think it, it, it's not a nice place to be and i just think that if young people feel in any way it's a sign of weakness or failure or you know society in particular can kind of label things quite badly and i just want people to know like look it's it's not for everyone but for those who embrace it and really pursue it relentlessly, it's game changer. It saved my life and I, uh, I'm eternally grateful for it. Well, I'm glad it saved your life because that means we got to meet. 
<laughs> the Relentless Podcast is brought to you by You Can Youth Services, which I am very proud to be a part of. You Can Youth Services is an organization that helps young people move out of harm's way and onto a path of economic independence. If you want to learn more about the incredible work that we do with some very vulnerable young people, please go to www.youcan.ca. That's www.youcan.ca. I want to be very conscious of your, your time restraints. I know you have to be out of here at a yes. certain time. So um, listen, we are going to end. I end every podcast with what we call the relentless quiz. And okay. If you're, if you're okay, Harry, uh, we're going to take this quiz. And this will determine if you are relentless. It was scientifically oh, put yeah. together. We had an entire group of engineers. Um, <laughs> are you ready? Yeah, let's go. Harry, fruits or vegetables? Fruits. City or countryside? Oh, that's awful. I live in New York and I'm obsessed with it and I love it, but I spend my life trying to get out of it to the countryside. <laughs> so I'm right down the middle there. I'm so sorry. That's not a great it's so, answer. It's so, no, that's fine. It's so I thought for sure you're going city with the Brooklyn Bridge behind you. I live, <laughs> it's so cliche. You've got Wall Street directly behind me. Yeah. And I'm like, I love it in the country. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, I, both. I'm sorry. Both. No, okay, I'll take that. Dirty bathroom or dirty kitchen? I'm a neat freak. I can't handle either. I really can't, but... You have to pick. Probably, uh, if I have to pick, I'd rather a dirty kitchen, I guess, because I can clean it up listening to a podcast. And Okay. Salty or sweet? Sweet. Okay. Morning or night? I'm a morning guy. I like to get up early and get on with it. Okay. Favorite comedy movie? Favorite comedy movie? Yeah. It's a it's um it's a British comedy. It's kind of a dark comedy. It's called With Nail and I. To those who know it, they will love it. Yeah. Uh, but ninety nine percent of the people listening to this or watching this podcast will have no idea what I I'm don't know what about. that is. With Nell and I. It's called With Nell and I. Okay. I'm gonna look into it. With Nell and I, I love because I, I really Very do. Dark comedy. I love. I do love British comedy. Um, big party or small gathering? Small gathering. Okay, which I think is so interesting because you do massive galas, right? <laughs> yeah. So again, it's like you're in Brooklyn, but you like the countryside, <laughs> right? Right. Phone in the bathroom or no phone in the bathroom? No phone in the oh, bathroom. I don't believe you. I don't. I don't believe anyone that says that. I believe that those that in 2023 that is the newspaper or a magazine. That's what I believe. But wait a second. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Are we talking about having a bath or on the bathroom? <laughs> no one's ever asked. Okay. If you're in the bath or you're kind of yeah, then I, I get it. But I suppose right. if you're on the can, then you know that's a good that's a good use of time. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I don't fit in the tub, so it's never it's never about that for me. <laughs> Uh, favorite love song of all time, Harry. Favorite love song of all time. Oh God! No one said so it was an easy quiz. No one said it was easy. Yeah, I, I would have loved these questions before. No, that's the point. We can't give them out before. Probably one of the Elton John uh, love songs. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to come back to that. Okay. 
Okay, no, I'll I'll take Elton John as a performer because he's got a lot of great love songs. Yeah, and, yeah. And I would encourage you to sing one right now if you would like to. Absolutely not. Okay, Absolutely sounds good. So, I thought I'd toss it. Oh, two <laughs> questions left. Harry, uh, second last question. Cake or pie? Um, probably cake. Okay. okay. Probably cake. A nice carrot cake oh, with that. like loads of icing on the top. Yeah. That is nice. With a nice, yeah. see for me, I would eat that with a nice glass of milk to wash it down. Nice. That would be nice. Now I'm going to go get that tonight. Last question, Harry. Uh, and we are only a minute or two over time. Describe your relentless podcast experience in four words. Describe my relentless podcast experience in four words. You can put it into a, a little tiny sentence or you can use four words to describe it. I would say um, it's been a first for me, possibly overshare, <laughs> um, enjoyable and efficient. Let me tell you, um, you're oversharing, if that's, if that's what you might think it is. I actually think it was uh, inspirational. I think it can help people. I think that um, you help me and even the literacy piece of talking about it. I am so thankful that you were willing to be vulnerable, talk about it, share your story in a way that I haven't heard somebody talk about it before. And I'm thankful that, that you were um, generous to us to be able to do that. And I hope that people that listen really get a lot from it. I hope that there are two parts of this podcast. I hope people listen that maybe do fundraising for a living or that run charities for a living. And they get, they get some of that stuff that we talked about in the beginning, which I think is so good and powerful. But truthfully, the second part of this podcast to me is way more important. And I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you being on here. And I'm really hopeful that we can continue some more conversations in this relationship moving forward, Harry. I really do. Well, I really appreciate you having me on and those kind words. And, uh, of course, very happy to, uh, to come back on down the line and, um, and be part of the Relentless podcast again. So Where can we find you on the social medias and your website and all that fun stuff? Yeah, so uh, I'm on Instagram, which is just at Harry Santa. So at Harry Santa on Instagram. And then my website is www.harrysanta.com. Awesome. Uh, folks, you can find us at www.youcan.ca. That's Y-O-U-C-A-N.ca. Find out about our programs, about what we do, the young people we work with all of our relentless swag, all that type of good stuff. Our Comedy Nights fundraiser coming up here next March. And again, Harry, I'm so sorry I butchered your name in the beginning. Very, very inappropriate of me. Um, we practiced it I know, as well. we practiced it like four times, but this shows that <laughs> I am I am uh, not the coldest root beer in the fridge is what I'll say. All right. Uh, but anyways, I appreciate you. Thanks for being here. And uh, until next time. Thank you. This series is proudly produced by the team at Road 55. Road 55 creates content that connects. For more information, check our website, www.road55.ca.